This is the Movie Hall of Fame class of 1969 for Friday, May 15th, 2020. Adam Hall. What's up? <laughs> Nothing, man. Just here yeah. talking about movies. Ugh, again and again and again. Nothing's ever new. When will it end? <laughs> is there anything else to talk about besides movies, though? Let's just be honest at this nope. point. Nothing. Nope. Nope. Just movies. It's funny though. <laughs> haven't seen any like new releases yet. Like I haven't really done. I ha- I haven't done the VOD thing like at uh-huh. all. Uh-huh. You know. And I guess uh, it, like every time I've gone to see, gone to see in quotes. Every time I've seen a new movie, it's been um, something that I just ripped offline. Right. So, but but I have plans this weekend to go to a drive-in. Whoa. Yes. Where is there a drive-in around here? Uh, it's in Bark Hampstead. We're going to Bark Hampstead and we're going to watch Onward. Is that right? Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. I think drive-ins are super cool. Yeah. I've never been to one, but I think they're super cool. I say, I said it last time. You call yourself a movie fan. You've never been to a drive-in. I think they're really charming. Yeah. Um, I think, though, that if you were to watch a movie for the first time in a drive-in, that's <laughs> reprehensible. <laughs> what do you mean i just think all these nerds all these movie nerds that are like how dare you watch the irishman on your iphone <laughs> if you think that it's then acceptable to go watch jaws at a drive-in you're insane you know what i mean <laughs> like a drive-in is a cool like outing just to be able to say that you did it but there's no way like the resolution is good enough or that the sound is good enough. The, the radio <laughs> speakers may be a tad off sync with the screen. You've never been to one. Are, are you telling me like it's crisp, like Dolby theater quality though when you go to a drive-in? The, the picture is perfectly fine. Okay. It's pretty good. It's not so bad. It's pitch blackout. You have to understand like they have it set so that you know, they're not going to show the movie at like six o'clock. Obviously, that wouldn't make any sense. But, you know, they show the movie when it gets dark and it's, you know, it feels good. The only thing that's somewhat you have to adjust to it a little bit is the audio in your car. It's not right. that it's out of sync. It's just weird to have it like right there in front of you. Right. Just, you think the audio should be coming from the screen, but instead it's coming from like two inches in front of you. Yeah, and it is a little different, but after about 10 minutes of watching the movie, you get used to it. That was my experience with uh, uh, Toy Story 4 anyway. Now, Toy Story 4, that was the first time you had seen that movie? Was it a drive-in? Yep. See, that to me would just drive me nuts. It was No, it was great. I, I, was, able to, <laughs> I was able to enjoy the movie. What do you want? Okay. I'm just a stickler about the screen that you watch a movie <laughs> on. I'm, I'm, a big, I, I'm a big stickler about this. You know this about me. I know it's a little funny to me because I, I, I have a tendency to watch my movies on my computer. That's yeah. the smallest screen I'll do. Any, anybody who chooses to watch their fucking uh, um, movies on their phone. Hmm. Yeah. I have a big issue with that. I, again, though, I don't see like the difference between a phone, which you have perfect sound and the picture is in 4K high definition. I don't see the difference between that and just like pulling up to a movie theater behind a bunch of moths on your windshield. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's not like you're. you're, you're I, I'm, I'm sure it's fun. I just don't think it's an ideal movie viewing experience. That's you're all. so neurotic. It's like it's not like that. It's not like this like disgusting, nasty thing where half the time you're watching the movie, half the time you're hooking up with your significant other. It's not like that. It's not. No. Okay. Well, then I've been severely misled by movies throughout my life. 
The problem, well, that's the, the problem is what that what it used to be was like the midnight movie where you would go see like Rocky Horror Picture Show, and like half the time you'd be watching the movie, the other half would be like, oh, this movie's oddly turning me on. Right. I don't know what that says about me, but it's turning me on. And that was that. You just <laughs> and there was so much like drama happening outside of the cars by like the snack stands. You know, it's like I just, <laughs> the, the I only... high school bully finally got his comeuppance at the drive-in this week. <laughs> Your view of of uh, uh, drive-ins is like the universe of Greece, and that's exactly. it. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> it's like we live once, together, like we doubt, but doubt about me, but the boop, a doop. Like once you drive into a drive-in movie theater, you just transport it back into the 1950s, and that's it. Instantaneously, I would love to go to one. I again, I just would want to go to a drive-in where I've seen the movie a good like half dozen times. Yeah, it probably yeah, it drove you up uh, like drove you up the wall when i was telling you that i saw dark knight for the first time at a drive-in <laughs> as a matter of yeah no it was i just I, I, I saw it twice i went to the theater the second time yeah <sighs> douche chills man anyway <laughs> uh speaking of new releases have you seen anything recently uh I, man i haven't seen anything new in particular uh my was my brother really wanted to watch Bone Tomahawk, so I showed him that, and he really liked it. And then uh, I showed him uh, uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99, and he f- he's obsessed with that now. Oh, wow. Okay. Obsessed with that movie. Yeah. He's a Zollerhead. Yeah. And then I went to Target, and I picked up um, uh, Dragged Across Concrete. So I'm a proud owner <laughs> of Dragged Across Concrete on Blu-ray. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you should be on a list for some reason. Yeah, I, I would say <laughs> <laughs> that's as good a reason as any to put you on watch. That's got to be a record right there. Like I'm the one person in existence who has bought that movie. <laughs> you broke quarantine to buy that movie. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I'm that's a, what I'm I do with my time. Brave Corona. Uh, speaking of siblings recommending movies to us, my sister demanded that I watch Taken Three this week. <sighs> I had not yet seen Taken 3. I only had seen Taken 1 and 2. Taken 2 sucks. Oh, yeah. you think Taken 2 is bad? Yeah. <laughs> Taken 2 looks like the French connection compared to Taken 3. Oh <laughs> that Olivier Megaton, man, that that guy, he's, he can direct a movie. Uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty horrible. Apparently, Brian Mills is an avid golfer. I learned that in Taken 3. Wow. He's he's out there on the golf course with his buddies, yet only one of his four friends is putting, and the rest are just watching him putt. <laughs> I love that. It's <laughs> such a Ter- horrible movie. Oh, it's like like not understanding what to do with your extras when you're supposed to be directing any sort of scene. It's like, yeah, we establish he's a golfer, so putt. And what do we do with all these other people? Right. They're just going to clap. Them- uh, <laughs> yeah, you sink that one. As they're discussing... Uh, <laughs> international security <laughs> so stupid yeah, get, you know you need some some high like 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 a high degree of precision to do what uh uh brian mills does including golfing yeah, yeah. i love the hat he was wearing by the way as he was golfing. <laughs> I have zero uh, also interest. also watched a movie which uh, was uh, i can safely say better than taken three it's called driveways i was texting you about this this weekend uh, oh yeah, yeah yeah driveways is directed by a man named andrew on and it is as far as i can tell the final on-screen performance of brian dennehy he mm-hmm. may have some other things coming up later this year but um this is 
I guess one of his last movies could be his last. Uh, it is about a mother and a son who move to, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. They go to clean out the house of the mother's dead sister. And they okay. learn things about uh, the sister, specifically that she was a hoarder. She had like a, a mental illness that caused her to hoard things in her house. And so her house is filthy and just packed uh, to the brim with junk and garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, so they spend a couple of weeks cleaning out the house and trying to get the house on the market. And the neighbor is played by Brian Dennehy and the son starts to develop uh, a friendship with this older man. And uh, man, this movie is not like going to change your life. It's super, super independent. And it has like that very independent feel. There's not a ton happening behind the camera. Uh, The score is very limited. The scenes are incredibly understated. It has that feeling that you get in uh, watching so many independent movies. If you watch a lot of independent movies. Um, But uh, it's really touching, man. And it's on the back of Dennehy, who's awesome in it. Uh, And it's also just got a great ending. The last monologue that Dennehy gives, it's the final scene of the movie is just so heartbreaking and well-written and awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, this movie is not going to send shockwaves through the universe, but it's an incredibly sweet, touching, tender uh, little hour and a half uh, piece. It's really, really uh, nice. Um, And if you're in the mood to be in a good mood, I would recommend driveways quite a bit. It's very, very good. And like, if you want to show your grandparents a movie, if you want to sit there, and watch a movie with your grandparents, perfect choice is driveways. Okay. It's, it's, it's really fun. I think you would like it a lot. You are the, the savant of grandparent movies. I think, yeah, you know, your grandparent movies. Hell yeah. It's, your, <laughs> it's, it's really your jam at the end of the day. That's right. <laughs> driveways. Yeah, are- really good. You have to tell me, I mean, because it's been a little while since we've had a pod, but I know you saw another movie, which we haven't actually discussed face to face. You know yeah. what? Let's let's save that for another podcast. You want to do it for another pod? I do. Like yeah. another, another pod? Yes. I, I was do. right. I was right, though. The movie is called The Jesus Rolls. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yes, I think coming to Wise is a thing very soon. Yes. I'm so happy. I will not (laughs) give any thoughts on it now. Okay. (laughs) What I will say is that my opinion today is drastically different than my opinion on the night I watched it. Okay. I'll say that. All right. I'll try to watch it sooner than later. Then. (laughs) Best of luck. (laughs) I I, I have a feeling it hasn't changed that much. I'm sure you're you're still... Oh, is it a shit movie? Hell yeah. But we'll talk about it later. (laughs) Is it a shit movie? Hell yeah. I love that review. (laughs) Hell yeah. By the way, should we do this Capone thing? Uh, I think we have to do this. Jabril was asking me about this today. Dude, it just... uh, Okay. It's so... Of course he... That makes perfect sense. (laughs) He's very curious. It's it's David Lynch's DP, so there's a little connection there. And supposedly, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait. Josh Trank was no. Josh Trank directed, correct? Yeah, but the director of photography is David Lynch's director of photography. Okay. And supposedly, it draws a lot from David Lynch and Cronenberg. Whoa. So, I don't know. All I hear, all I keep hearing, is that Tom Hardy is horrendous in the movie, and he shits his pants a lot. So. Can we do this next week? 
You and I? Yeah. A little movie hopping next week? Yeah, why not? I, 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 I Here's the thing. I knew that was going to suck. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. I knew it was going to suck. I checked well, it out. What if it like, doesn't? I've seen some reviews that are like, yeah, it's terrible, but some people might love it. What does that mean? It's terrible. Some people might love it. That's not very reassuring. Evidently, it goes for it. Well, I'm sure it does. It's you Josh know? fucking Trank, <laughs> the man behind Fant Four Stick. <laughs> we have to do it. Let's do it next week. Okay. Let's okay. do it. We'll take a break from this. All right. Come on. All right. Uh, class of 1969, though, is what we're here to talk about. Class mm-hmm. of 1969. Only five nominees this week, uh, but an interesting list of five nonetheless. I agree. They are Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. That is just one movie. The Wild Bunch, Easy Rider, Midnight Cowboy, and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. One of them making it into the Movie Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, In general, what did you think about the year 1969? Uh, To to quote you from a couple seconds ago, it goes for it. (laughs) Goes for it. Yeah. On a couple of these movies, it goes for it. You That's really that true. Um, one of the most transgressive eras in American cinema. Mm-hmm. It's definitely true. Uh, one of the one of the, the it's like the turning point almost. Mm-hmm. Um, even though these movies didn't inspire things that the film brats did, it made movies like it. It made it so like movies like The Godfather could get made. Right. So it's very important in that way. And I will always respect uh, the movies that came out of this year for that alone. You know, we, we, we owe a tremendous amount to them. They're very important films. They're not all good in my book. Okay. Uh, and we'll talk about that. Um, well, I shouldn't really say that. I mean, this list is indicative of some really great works, but uh, th- I have feelings <laughs> on a couple of them, we, 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 we'll say. Okay. And uh, again, like, like very interesting artistic statements. And it's it's cool to see these things exist. And even if I might not necessarily agree with all of the choices, um, it's it's a it's a cool time period that was captured in these movies. Well, first of all, it's like a really pivotal year in American history, not just like movie history. Uh, Mm -hmm. Apollo 11 happened that year. Uh, the Manson murders happened that year. I was just about to say that, yeah. Woodstock happened that year. That was the first ever Woodstock. There's a reason why Quentin Tarantino made Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and said it in 1969. Um, It's uh, signaling a real cultural shift in the country. Um, And yeah, I think you're right. It's not so much that Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola attempted to copy these movies. Um, It's that they were able to make... Uh, really interesting auteur pieces on a on a big level with big budgets. Yep. I, I was kind of struck when I looked at the box office returns. Oh yeah. Uh, number one was Butch Cassidy made twenty nine million dollars. I think if you adjusted that for inflation, it's I think the thirty fourth highest grossing movie of all time. That's cool. That's how big that movie was. Midnight Cowboy was number two. Then you yeah. have Easy Rider at three, Hello Dolly at four, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice at number five. So, I actually knew about this, yeah. Uh, and I think The Wild Bunch was not in the top 10, but I, like, I think we nominated at least four pretty transgressive out there movies, 
and to see most of them do very well at the box office is pretty staggering. A movie like Midnight Cowboy would not make that much money at the box office today. Um, so I think like the performance of these movies commercially empowered studios to give Coppola a ton of money for the Godfather. And that's why the, the Godfather made a ton of money at the box office. Same with Scorsese's early movies uh, and uh, and De Palma's early movies. So, yep. Uh, yeah, uh, I think just commercially, not just artistically, this was a really important year. Yeah. It's just fun to observe though. Like the one, uh, and we'll, we'll talk to about one, we'll talk about one film in particular on this list when we get there, but like, it's fun to look back and be like, Oh, this is what people were interested in at the time. Yeah. Cause you only get, I mean, it, it is hard to believe that anything like this could be like accessible today. Like I would actually say that the majority of these movies would do nothing. Yeah. I if mean, you, movies like this are made today. There's no doubt about it. And yeah. some of them do well at the Oscars maybe, but, uh, no, none of them do this well at the box office. No, it's unheard no. of. But it just shows an interesting uh, cultural landscape. The fact that they did do so well, you know, yeah. paints a good picture for that. Sure, yeah. and I agree with you. I think it's a very important year for that reason. Um, the Oscars, your nominees for Best Picture, Anne of the Thousand Days, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Hello Dolly, Z, and your winner, Midnight Cowboy. That's your winner for Best Picture. John Schlesinger, director of Midnight Cowboy, wins Best Director. This one kind of threw me for a loop. John Wayne wins Best Actor for True Grit. Yep, I knew that one. Beats out Hoffman and John Voight. Mm-hmm. Paul Newman and Robert Redford not even nominated. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, Maggie Smith wins Best Actress for the Prime of Miss Jean Brody. God, Maggie Smith has been around for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> She's so old. I know. Uh, Gig Young wins Best Supporting Actor for They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And Goldie Hawn wins Best Supporting Actress for Cactus Flower. Cool. Uh, Some honorable mentions for you. Uh, As I just mentioned there, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? The Sidney Pollack movie is an obvious choice. Hello, Dolly, I've never seen, but um, is a, you know, culturally significant musical. The Italian Job, the original with Michael Caine, yep. since remade as a decent TNT movie with <laughs> with Marky Mark. Yeah, uh, Kess is a movie that you brought up last yeah. week. Uh huh. Haven't and, seen it though. And uh, True Grit, the original. Mm-hmm. I have no movie. regret there. I think we made the right choice. Yeah, true, True Grit's fine. It's it's it's, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird. John Wayne won. That's I I would never think John Wayne Oscar winner. <laughs> Well, that's that's I think more of a complimentary Oscar. He didn't really yeah. win based off of his performance. They were just like, "You've been around a while, and you're good in this movie." Here you go, lifetime achievement. It's the classic, yeah, essentially. National Film Registry inducts Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Easy Rider, Midnight Cowboy, The Wild Bunch, and these movies. Stop me if you've heard of any of them. Brandy in the Wilderness. <laughs> no, The I'm Learning good. Tree. Nope. Midden, oh, I'm sorry, medium cool. And Putney Swope. Zero movies. Okay. Way to go, National Film Registry. <laughs> <laughs> Impeccable work yet again. I've not even heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Let's start here. Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Of course. Directed by Paul Mazursky, starring Natalie Wood before Robert Wagner, 
pushed her into the ocean. Robert Culp. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Elliot Gould and Diane Cannon. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography at the Oscars won zero of them. A lighthearted picture of middle-aged love and friendship. I sense you have some thoughts, Adam Hall. Did that, did a lighthearted picture? You don't think so? What? <laughs> Holy shit, no. No, God, no. Um... I was texting you when I was watching this because this movie was fucking with me so bad. <laughs> I I had a horrible experience with this movie. It frightened me. I was I haven't been so uncomfortable watching characters in a movie in a long time. I would rather watch Midsummer again. Oh um, wow! This is so unfunny. It's there's not a single laugh in it. Um, what? And not a single fucking laugh. Oh, stop. Um, Come it is, on. It is horribly unfunny. Um, oh, boy. It's it's I was telling you, like, we have our movies and you're you're the only person I know who describes movies in this way, <laughs> but <laughs> who will see a, a, the most harmless thing ever and be like, oh, no horror movie. Right. And you, ha- you had that experience with Francis Ha. Yes, and it made zero sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> Absolutely zero. sense. I couldn't wrap my head around that. However, <laughs> this is my Francis Ha. Okay. I, ooh, the only difference is that I, I liked it significantly less. <laughs> that being tell. said, that being said, it's a really good movie <laughs> that I didn't enjoy at all. Okay. I can accept that. Um, really good movie. Didn't enjoy one little bit of it. Okay. Uh, I disagree with you when you say it was painfully unfunny. I, I didn't think that at all. At there all, were a man. number of scenes where I laughed. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Where? Tell okay, me. So, like when they're sitting around the pool and uh, and uh, the two guys are having a conversation by the pool and the kid keeps like coming up and swimming next to him and he's like, hey, get out of here. And they're like talking about like having affairs. Eh, no, no. The, the end scene where they're a spoiler alert where they're about to have the orgy with each other and Bob is just sitting in the corner and he's got a hand over his face and they go, Bob, what do you think? And he goes, hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's some good stuff. The psychiatrist office I thought was pretty funny. I actually, oh, yeah. What? I thought they were oh, a number so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. All well, of these course scenes it's are uncomfortable, just, but I also found it pretty funny. Oh, all these scenes you're describing just made me made my skin crawl. I, I did. They didn't even register as funny. I was like, this is supposed to be a comedy. There is n- there are no laughs in this movie. So which which scene horrified you the most? Every scene, every single scene involving infidelity and the way they would sit and talk about it was yeah. just like so, it, so wrong. It's not the way I would ever process a moment like that. And I'm just right. like, what is the matter with you fucking people? <laughs> the orgy scene is the worst thing I've ever seen. The orgy scene in heavy quotes. Oh, boy, is it bad. Um, something, man. Jesus Christ. Elliot Gould trying to have sex with his wife, but not quite making it work is just like, oh boy. It's just like, I, 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 I was, I was going to rip my hair out. Uh, every time Bob and Alice spoke to them and tried to convince them of their ways, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Um, <laughs> you damn hippie. It was terrible. <laughs> this movie freaked me out, man. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all, but like, yeah, it's, it's pretty well done. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, okay, I understand, I guess, where your horror is coming from. I absolutely loved this movie. I, I really liked it a lot. I thought it was an incredibly smart script. Um, 
that I think would have even meant more to me if I was around in 1969, because in many ways, like it operates as a satire of like a hippie way of thinking yeah. where everyone's feelings are on the table and everyone just says what they want to say and sort of the pitfalls of that philosophy. Mm-hmm. You really can't tell your wife whatever you want to tell her. You really can't tell your husband whatever you want to tell him. And there's a reason for that. Yep. Uh, and, you know, there are some <laughs> misguided people who think that honesty is always the best policy. But in reality, we have these constructs in order to maintain sanity. <clears throat> yep. um, and the movie takes their philosophy to its logical extreme. And that's what I really appreciated about it. Yep. Um, it didn't really pass judgment on these characters. As much as it, it just sort of let its characters do what they were going to do. And uh, it, it just sort of ends on a note of understanding. And that understanding is, yeah, maybe we should go back to sleeping with other people and not telling each other about it. Which is a big problem. I'm like, <laughs> that, that that's not a philosophy I think anybody should subscribe to. One of the, I mean, I do appreciate the movie taking the time to be like, like, like calling people on their hypocrisy for those who think this way, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, you can have sex with someone else as long as it's not, you know, intimate love. You know, it's just physical, whatever. And then as soon as it happens to the guy, he freaks yeah. the fuck out. It's a great scene. What it's are you great, doing yeah. to me? <laughs> It's great. And it's like, okay, like if you deny those feelings, that's part of the problem. That's the real reaction that you're that you're feeling. And there's a reason for that. Like you said, I I also deeply appreciate the the notion like like if you look at this film as like an examination of what it means to love somebody else, Mm -hmm. how at the end of the day, like sex and love are two very, very different things. And at the end of the day, like like intimacy is something much, much stronger than that. Sometimes all it takes is just a look and mm-hmm. you just know it mm-hmm. and you don't need to, you know, be with someone that way to really love them. And that's nice. And that's true. Um, <laughs> I, the, the notion. Yeah, let's let's just have sex with other people, though. The movie well, had, I, that's that's it, not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if they were to have sex with other yeah. people by, you know, in a fleet of passion, there's a reason why you don't tell your wife. I know. I you know. know. They're like, the, the, some there's, truths are better left unsaid is my only point. But again, that's the, even that it's like at a certain point, it's like you, you could explore the pitfalls of the other direction. Like if you, you're not honest about stuff like that and many, many, many movies have, yeah. but the movie is sort of having its cake and eating it too. And I'm just like, uh, okay, like I, I appreciate the broad strokes of what you're going for here. But if I were to get into like the nitty gritty of this particular kind of human experience and, you know, trust and intimacy and love and the way the movie's handling it, it's just, it's questionable. I'll certainly say that. Yeah. It's definitely uh, well, questionable. Okay. I think the best policy is don't cheat on your wife. I think that's the yeah. best. And but <laughs> I'm not, sh- I, I, I'm not convinced the movie is even interested in that. Like, it's not really about like, like cheating so much, but the movie says like at the end of the day, it shouldn't really matter. There's there's an argument to be had that that's what the movie's saying, which yeah yeah I which think I, I think you're right though that the, it's more about intimacy than it is about sex yes right yeah. it's more about like what you share with your partner and what you choose to keep away from other people mm-hmm. that defines your relationship it's not necessarily sex yes and that's yeah I I think that's like an interesting idea yeah and I like that idea a lot yeah it, it, but it does end with them like like sympathizing with their philosophy again and going back to that ritual that they were doing before to the point where even, uh, uh, um, uh, Ted and Alice are, um, are doing it with them. And I'm like, I I was 
kind of questioning like where the movie fell at the end of it all. Like mm-hmm. if it was taken aside or if it was just kind of left up in the air. I, I, I wasn't really sure. I th- I was, I guess I, maybe I just didn't get it. Okay. And that's possible. It sounds like you got it. It sounds I, like I, you got I, it just I, fine. I think it just sounds <laughs> like you were, you were uh, dismayed by it. Well, I was dismayed by this fucking thing. Uh, I, I have no desire to watch this ever again. And it, I guess like, like I love that idea. Like I said, of like intimacy versus sex. It's, it's, it's nice, but the other stuff, the other stuff was just fucking with me really, really bad. Yeah. That first scene where they're uh, hanging out at the retreat and there's like a guru that, so I, I guess uh, Natalie Wood and Robert Culp play Bob and Carol and they go to like this retreat because Bob is a documentary filmmaker and he's looking to make a film about this guru who claims to have the answers uh, that will solve your sex life and your life in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they go to this retreat expecting, you know, with, with a bit of skepticism, expecting yeah. just to find some material for a documentary. And after 24 hours of sleep deprivation and just unloading all of their feelings to the entire room, they, uh, they, they get this enlightenment, this sense of enlightenment and they, attempt to share this enlightenment with their friends, Ted and Alice, who are this other couple and they're very close, these four people. Um, and they try absolute honesty. It's, it's kind of like a, a more realistic version of Jim Carrey's yes, man, where it's just yeah. like, you know, they they cannot tell a lie to anyone. They can't say no to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they take that to its logical extreme and by the end of it, an orgy is attempted and they never go through with it. And I'm, I'm actually really happy about that choice because yeah, had too. they had gone through with it, I think the, the movie loses its meaning. Um, but that scene at the beginning where they're with the guru and they're all giving each other hugs and they're sobbing like that to me was like the scene in Midsummer where <laughs> Florence Pugh was going ah, and all the women around her were going ah. It felt like a cult, and that's kind of what it was. It was, yeah. it was kind of a cult, and and again, like moments like that, where it's just like, could you let go of her, please? Right, <laughs> please, for the love of God, let go of this this woman. Yeah. The the only other thing, like I take away in in, in terms of like a negative, is that be, because of like the, the arc that these characters are pushed through, I inherently don't like them. I don't really okay. like anybody in this movie, and okay. I know that that's kind of the point, but like, it it, it made it very difficult to get through at times like at least in midsummer i like florence Pugh, and to a degree i even kind of like her boyfriend even though he's a complete piece of shit <laughs> at the end i like him anyway yeah, you're I feel the ba- only one yeah <laughs> i feel bad for him that's certainly true sure. uh whereas like there wasn't much like there was no hand holding in this movie and not to say that i i i want hand holding but here i needed some hand some hand holding yeah i, <laughs> I got was a little you. i was a baby yeah and it was just like, uh, can I get like, like, like some, some ethos here or I don't know. I, I need, I need something, you know, or pathos rather. Um, I was just getting really uh, like frustrated at a certain point that the movie wasn't giving me much to uh, connect to in a more positive light. Cause at a certain point I didn't even really like Alice. So, um, I, I actually kind of liked Elliot Gould. Maybe that I was knew, just the I knew you would. I yeah, knew you I, would. And no, I just think he's really good in this movie. He is good. But like that guy, fuck, fuck Ted. <laughs> fuck Ted. That weaselly prick. Uh, yeah. And Alice was pretty funny as well. Orgy. We're having an orgy. You're having an orgy. I want to have an orgy. <laughs> okay, we'll have an Alice. orgy. Then we'll go see Tony Bennett. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I, I I dig this movie hard, man. I I really like it. Um, I, it's definitely more of a me movie than it is a you movie. Yeah, not could not be further from me. Yeah. Um. I I and I also just love the dialogue. I, I really yeah. like the performances. It, it's interesting. This movie does something that um sometimes you see in like Noah Baumbach movies and Woody Allen movies where the scene will just go on and on and on and on and on and then it'll cut at, at a seemingly random moment. And so like every scene feels like you're, you're there for like three more minutes than you should. Mm -hmm. Um, and like some may argue that that makes the movie drag and then it's not as tight as it could be. Um, I just think like it gives like a real, like, uh, realistic, intimate feeling. Like once you're there, I'll give you an example. So the scene where, uh, Elliot Gould and, uh, and Diane Cannon come back from the evening with their friends. This was my they, example too, by the way, they've just smoked a lot of pot and they're hanging out together. Um, and, uh, Elliot Gould is in the mood for sex and Diane Cannon is not in the mood for sex. Um, and they have this conversation and eventually, uh, Diane Cannon just goes, all right, you want to just do what you want to do to me and get what you have to get done. And then we'll just go to sleep. Um, and the scene goes back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. And about three minutes in, you figure, okay, the scene is over now, but then it keeps going. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate that quality because those extra three minutes, I felt like I was seeing something that I wasn't supposed to be seeing. <laughs> this is where your doc, your love for documentaries comes in. Though, right. You know, right. That's so. what it was. It's like, oh, this is awesome. This just has like this sort of free flowing quality to it where yeah. I, we may be at this scene for another 30 minutes. I have no idea. And, I, and so it, it sort of mimics the feeling of real life. When you watch so many movies that are tightly edited, you, you almost expect exactly where the cuts are going to be. And you can almost, you can tap your foot and anticipate the rhythm of the movie just because you see so many of it. Um, when a movie just has like this fucking attitude where a scene will just go on and on and on and the dialogue will continue to reach its natural conclusion. I really love that feeling. I know you're not always a big fan of that, but but I love it when something like that happens. Yeah. It's not like bad there because I had a similar feeling where it's like, whoa, this is going on much longer than I even anticipated. And it, it does work at the end of the day. It's very, like, the whole movie is very dialogue, like not stricken. It's it's like dialogue heavy the entire way through, no matter, you, you can't really escape it. I thought, uh, that's why, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's like comfortably repetitive at first, and then it's like horribly repetitive, in a, it, deliberately though. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it it's effective. You're, it gets its point across. It's very right. good. Right. It, it has an I, awesome punchline at the end, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it gets the job done. No, it, I, and that's why it's like, it's a funny example of a movie. It's like where I admit that it's good. I just didn't like it. You know? Okay. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that we watched it for this. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just think a, a pretty pivotal sex comedy, man. There weren't a ton of those in the sixties. Right, if we're going to call it a comedy, sure. <laughs> By nothing, the way, nothing funny about this movie. This thing was developed into a sitcom for ABC. What? Back in 1973. That did not include the wife swapping in any way. Uh, so it, without any of that subtext, without any of that material, you can imagine it did not do well. In fact, it only aired seven episodes before getting canceled. There you go. But it was noteworthy for casting a young Jodie Foster. Really? <coughs> as uh, Elizabeth Henderson, Ted and Alice's daughter. So there you go. Oh, okay. Interesting. And also just a few years ago, it was adapted into a play. So Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice still uh, a profitable 
piece of intellectual property. It felt very like like it felt like it, it would work quite well as a play. That's the other thing. It's yeah. very it's, it has its its mind in that kind of staging and that kind of look. So also Natalie Wood uh, smoking. What did I say about that scene, by the way, where she's not wearing any pants? I was like, <laughs> is that? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> My glasses nearly hit the TV screen <laughs> during that scene. <laughs> I was leaning in so hard. Quite fetching. Yeah. <laughs> and exposed. Uh, too, too bad she had an affair with Christopher Walken and Robert Wagner killed her on a yacht. It's really too bad. I didn't realize that that was her. Allegedly. She was so beautiful. She was beautiful. Uh, (laughs) Robert Wagner? You mean Brad Pitt? (laughs) Yes, I mean Brad Pitt. (laughs) Let's talk The Wild Bunch, another movie that I watched for the first time just uh, today, actually. It was directed by Sam Peckinpah. The the Sam Peckinpah. Indeed. Starring William Holden and Ernest Borgnine. AFI says it is the 80th best movie of all time. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay and Best Score at the Oscars. An aging group of outlaws look for one last big score as the traditional American West is disappearing around them. Uh, You nominated this movie. You saw it when? Film school? I saw it. uh, Let me think about this one. I want to say I saw it. Junior year of college, junior okay. year of college. Nah, it would junior. Yeah, I think junior or senior year, one of those two. Um, and I, I was like, ooh, this is gonna be neat. And um, yeah, I mean, if you're gonna kill the American Western, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. <laughs> you slit their throats and you blow them up with machine guns, and and they don't go down easily. They don't yeah. go down. In that that's again wonderfully expressed here, especially at the end. Yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, I, this movie is hits like a sledgehammer. It's one of those things. Yeah, um, it's not at all what you expect. You expect a very traditional western when you go into it, and it even sets up. It sets itself up to be a traditional western, and then immediately subverts that with the bank robbery scene. And it's right away. Some, right yeah, away. That, yeah. Yep. If they move, shoot them. Oh, it's that kind of movie. <laughs> right. And it's great. It's great. And the movie is explosively violent and extremely violent for the time. Um, I love the, the journey that these characters go on in. It's just an entire movie about self-reflection and understanding your legacy and what it has become now and accepting it in the bleakest way and finding some means to go out in a way that's like somewhat admirable. And the, the the movie's only solution is you got to just go out guns blazing, you know, the, the, the way you were always meant to doing something of, of, of worth. Right. And it's not pretty, but it goes for it and it earns it. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great final chapter is what I'll say. Yeah. Well, I think William Holden's character at one point says in the movie, uh, we got to start thinking beyond our guns. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have to, um, you know, do something beyond shoot our way out of every problem yeah. we're in. I actually but, wrote about that very line 
in um in, in a paper that I had to do specifically on, you know, Wild Bunch. Yeah. Okay. And, and so how it was yeah. Yeah. So so the movie um you know, I, I think these characters attempt to do that. They they attempt to go straight. They attempt to uh you know uh make amends with this uh this guy over the border. Um but you're right, like that's just not in their nature. That's not how they were brought up. And like at a certain point, who you are is who you are, and you just have to accept that. Um, and so, yeah, the only way to do it is to shoot yourself out of it and it ain't going to look pretty. That opening scene that was like fucking saving private Ryan in, in the wild, wild west. Like that shit was awesome, dude. Could be. I, I will say it's the best edited Western. Yeah. Like it's nuts and it's kinetic and it's just the most hard hitting, brutal thing I've seen in a, in a, when I saw it, I was like, whoa, I didn't expect that. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, like this horrible rush of cold water it's like oh god i gotta like readjust i don't know what this movie is right. and then once you once you you're finally sitting with it you're like yeah no this movie is not fucking around and i don't mm-hmm. know why i expected any different because it's fucking sam peckinpah you know so uh, how how much of sam peckinpah's stuff have you seen i've seen like uh i've, I've only seen like like other clips from uh some of his other films i can't pinpoint one in uh straw dogs but, but seen i have seen I've, I've seen straw dogs okay. i have seen straw dogs and that is a rough experience entirely okay. and it's hard hard movie to recommend it's very good very janky but like oh boy yeah it's just a gross and and nasty kind of movie okay maybe so. i have to check that out dustin hoffman is just like you wonder what the hell he's doing in the movie it's very, very, very strange Dustin Hoffman role, but he even he's quite good in it. Okay, they just remade Straw Dogs a couple years yeah, ago, didn't they? Yeah, that's With one of the James better. Morrison? Yeah, that's right. It's kind of strange. I didn't see it, but that's a great like examination on masculinity and <laughs> what it takes to quote unquote become that person and sort of the pitfalls of that. And that's a lot of things that Sam Peckinpah has been interested in over the course of his career, and it's very present here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the thing about Westerns, we are not the first ones to say this, but it is nonetheless true. The Western is sort of a a time machine through the history of cinema. It's like when you watch a Western, you can learn something not only about the values of Hollywood, but the values of the country at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, a, a unique art form in that way. So even if like you're not the biggest fan of guys on horses... Uh, you can still learn a lot about history by just watching Westerns. And yeah, I think this is exactly the Western you want in 1969. Yeah. You know, it, it is at the age of an old way of thinking the seventies are around the corner and the Western sort of gets left behind in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. for a, a, for a while there. And then I guess you have unforgiven in the nineties, which is playing around with similar themes. <sighs> yes. Um, but you know, really, Westerns are few and far between after 1969. It, it so, yeah, this is exactly how you kill it. That's that's yeah. really a, a perfect way of putting it. Mm-hmm. No, um, I was going to say it never picks up again. It's gone after yeah. this. I mean, you, you you get Westerns, but it's they're not the, the superhero films of today. That's what they used to be. Right. Right. Um, man, it's I, I know like it is true what you're saying about superhero movies, but <laughs> the idea that we're going to look back at black Panther and be like, you know what? That was really like the wild bunch of 2018. 
I never said that. Yeah, no, we, I, no, I, I, just douche chills. I, I know what you mean. I just get douche chills anytime someone compares superhero movies to westerns, which is something that's always brought up on like film Twitter. The the real answer for you is Joker. Oh God, Joker could be that movie. I hope Joker killed superhero movies. Me too. But I hope that death was slow and painful. <laughs> I know that's. The thing. I hope they really suffered. You're saying this because you're you're you have less respect for the superhero films, is what you're saying. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. So. I, I also think like there's less variance. You know, even though westerns, yeah, you always get a guy in a black hat and a white hat, and you know, you get uh, standoffs and you get horses. But I don't know. There, there's a a wide difference between even the Wild Bunch and Butch Cassidy, which both came out this oh. year couldn't honestly could not be more removed i don't they're they're completely separate even this and like uh like magnificent seven very different movies point being though there there's not much of a difference between aquaman and ant-man and the wasp you know that's a good so to suggest that there is is just a little silly to me (laughs) anyway you're you're missing the point (laughs) i know i understand you know what i mean yeah the opening scene is great. Um, I love how fast this movie moves. Yes. I love how sloppy the violence is. Like uh, Westerns are often defined by like their very easy to follow set pieces. I mean, the whole idea of a Mexican standoff, one guy standing over there, another guy standing over here, over here is uh, while a, a really clever way of shooting an action scene is also like just pretty stale. Um, yep. if you see it too many times and, uh, you know, this movie just dispels with that, that whole notion, you know, it's just like this violence is going to be really sloppy and there are going to be a, a lot of casualties of this war and civilians will lose their lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I love at the beginning where the guy who is holding the bank tellers hostage when they're about to shoot him but he just like takes out three other guys in a fiery blaze it's like man you know if you weren't so bad at your jobs you could have dispelled of this guy easier yeah but instead like you lost three lawmen because of this i just love all the collateral damage it really felt like a war movie to me and that was like such a breath of fresh air when you've seen so many westerns Mm -hmm. um and i'm actually ashamed that i hadn't had seen this sooner because this is really a pivotal movie in American history. And uh, I enjoyed it a, a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not always the easiest watch. It's, it's, it's not, I mean, the thing about Westerns is that they are quite accessible, many of mm-hmm. them, and they're easy ones to throw on, but this one, you don't exactly watch it and have the best time. It's, I think it's an incredible film, but like, as far as like populist entertainment, I mean, it's surprising to me that this movie made so much, this movie must've really messed with people when it came out. Right. Cause it's just like completely dispelling like a lot of what, a lot of the cinematic traditions that people had held dear for so many years. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus, like once Westerns became a thing, they did not stop for like Jesus, like 30 years. They're right. around forever. And this film is just, there's nothing glamorous about it. And that's the real distinction. A lot of Westerns are heavy on that. And I mean, they got these wide incredible vistas and these patriotic superhero people on horses. And it's, it's very much, we got to go save this for the betterment of ourselves in America. And that's cool. I like that. This well, mo- not even so. I think it's more just, we got to survive. 
Yeah, well, this movie is that. Yeah, <laughs> this sure. Movie is just, yeah. We just got to survive. I'm saying the other westerns oh, are right, right, more right. idealistic, like sure. The Searchers, which is a great film, but that is the quintessential example of everything that westerns represented before uh, the Wild Bunch, right? And, and basically said, no, you couldn't be more flawed, right? And like these guys are full on antiheroes, yeah. Um, and I respect the hell out of the movie because of that. I mean, think about the fact that Ernest Borgnine. Is is one of our two heroes? That is a hideous man. Oh God! That is yeah. not intro- You know what I mean? Like th- that is not Yul Brenner. <laughs> that nope. is a that is a fat guy with with crooked horrible teeth, teeth. Oh, terrible God. teeth, teeth at the worst. Just but- casting Ernest Borgnine in that role is a real like transgressive move. I know, I know. I'm surprised he didn't do more things like that because. Again, it's another sort of scenario, though, aside from Ernest Borgnine, where you look at the cast and it's that predator scenario where you get it. It's like, oh, Western heroes. Cool. Sure. And then the movie says, no, nope, fuck all that shit. It's going to get destroyed. Right. So, I, yeah, the only one that sticks out is Ernest Borgnine. It's like, what is he doing here? But he's great <laughs> in the movie is the thing. I think it works. I think it yeah. entirely works. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, the movie's just awesome, man. The characters are a lot of fun. They're mm-hmm. just such scumbags and... Uh, just as like a bloody riot of a movie. I, I yeah. really responded well to it. I liked it a lot. Good. Um, I love it. And yeah, I, I think, sure, it's in the mix this year. I, I think there are two clear front runners, but we'll see. Yeah, me too. Okay. We'll see. Uh, Easy Rider is next. Another movie that I watched for the first time. Me too. Man, I, 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 you know what? I host too many movie podcasts to have not seen Easy Rider. <laughs> this, is, this is the weird one of all of them. I'm like, you haven't seen Easy Rider? I, I'm just such a fraud. I'm a fraud. A, yeah. Directed by Dennis Hopper, starring Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, Phil Spector in one scene, <laughs> uh, and Jack Nicholson. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. AFI says it's the number 88 movie of all time. Okay. Two bikers head from L.A. to New Orleans through the open country and desert lands. And along the way, they meet a man who bridges a counterculture gap they are unaware of. Uh, I'm just going to read this. I do not know how accurate it is, but I will read it nonetheless. Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda did not write a full script for this movie. No they shit. made most of it up as they went along. No shit. They didn't hire a crew, but instead picked up hippies at communes across the country <laughs> and used friends and passersby to hold the cameras. And were drunk and stoned most of the time. No shit. <laughs> Yet, despite this shoddy production, Easy Rider becomes one of the defining movies of an era. Yeah. Uh, explain why, Adam Hall. Explain why. It. Uh, okay. You want not only explaining why? Do you want me to get into my thoughts on the film as well? I, I want you to unload on Dennis Hopper's Easy Rider. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, I saw the the movie in, at the same time in which I saw The Wild Bunch because it was like they were like lumped together as like two of those like transgressive important films that changed uh, everything. Mm-hmm. Now, um, this film probably I, I, it feels like a lot of things. It feels like what the hippie movement wanted, but at the same time also expressed their frustrations in a very natural and pure way, and one that they could relate to quite. Like, like like viscerally in a lot of ways and I would say that I mean I, again the fact that this movie was as popular as it was speaks to how many fucking hippies there were <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> My God. God damn hippies. Cause um hmm. Uh okay. I acknowledge that this movie's incredibly important. It is. Um it, it means a lot to cinema. Um it's I, I, I respect it dearly. Not only do I not like this movie, I don't even think it's all that good. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there is not... When we, we've talked about this before, and you have movies that you consider time capsule pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you cite um, like, like uh, Night of the Living Dead as one of those movies, yes. which is something I actually disagree with. I actually find that movie's aesthetic and the camera work and the editing to work very well for... A zombie movie. By the way, and, most people disagree with me on that. Yeah, that's okay. yeah. yeah. I love I, that. I like it's 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 very enjoyable, especially as like a Halloween film. It just works. Yeah, and this is maybe the only movie I've ever seen where I can a hundred percent confirm to you: yes, this exists to me only as a time capsule piece, and I will only be able to appreciate it as a time capsule piece. And as a matter of fact, I find it very, very hard to believe that anyone else could truly appreciate it the way that someone like Dennis Hopper or the hippie movement would, because it is such a specific point in time and such a specific mindset and a movie that is made with said mindset that it's hard for it to extend out of that. I think it's one of the most dated movies ever made, uh, just just inherently. It, it, it can't help it. And that's what happens when you dig yourself into an era in a cultural mindset so much. So I, I, and for that, I think it's actually a little flawed. So, and, uh, we'll, and we'll get further into this, but that's just my base overview of why. Yeah. Movie doesn't really work for me at, at, at all. So hmm. it's like your blade runner. You have blade runner. I guess I have easy rider. <laughs> uh, did you find it hard to believe that I really enjoyed it? no, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> that that's a pain in the ass, dude. Because the movie's not that great. It's uh-huh. like, it's it's not. I I don't want to say it's a bad movie. It's not. It's not that it's bad. It doesn't suck or anything. But like, so much of this movie doesn't work. Like like from a natural perspective. Like, ha, ha, did you enjoy it like as it was, or did you enjoy it as like something to look back on? Um, that's because I'm I'm genuinely interested in that. Well, I, I I guess those two things are inseparable. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever watched an old movie through the lens that I would be watching a new movie. No. I, I don't think that's ever happened. As much as I try to shut off my brain, I mean, I'm just such a nerd about this shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a very hard time watching it in a bubble. Um, well, yeah. I know, but like there are certain movies where it's simply amplified and that it's, in, yeah. it's almost like you can separate yourself or you, you can at least immerse yourself into the Godfather at a certain point. Like yeah. if you don't get into that movie right away, give it half an hour. You will be in that movie. Yeah. You know, I, sure. And the Godfather is a timeless story. No doubt. Yes. Um, exa- and that's I, my point. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. Yeah. I think the actual content of the movie is. Uh, confined to the 60s. What I do think, though, however, um, is that the sort of sensibility is timeless. And I I just found these characters to be incredibly endearing. And, like, you know, maybe I'm being a snob about this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe I, I'm, I'm being... Uh, I don't know. 
a bit hipster. <laughs> I think but you are, I, man. These I don't know, man. Like you, you love Richard Linklater's slacker, and I, I don't think like there's a big difference. Slacker. <laughs> is there a huge difference between this and slacker? The difference is that I acknowledge that slacker is flawed. It's I, I enjoy it enough, but I enjoy it different. Again, even that movie I enjoyed differently. I just appreciate the experiment a lot, and it's yeah. kind of cool to watch. But I don't watch that movie the same way I would watch even Boyhood. Okay. Um, and this movie, dude, no, there are no characters in this movie. These oh, are I don't not, think that's true at all. I completely disagree with you. I mean, these are some of the most underwritten people I've ever seen. I disagree. I mean, there's there's nothing there for them. I mean, here's the problem is that the movie also feels like what it actually is in the sense that it feels like a bunch of weirdos that went on a ride on the road and got high the entire time and made a movie. And <laughs> I'm sorry, it doesn't make for a good movie. You 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 do nothing next to nothing. I, in your I think you're I think you're understating it a little bit. I do. <laughs> no, I think there's enough craft here. It, it, this <sighs> is not pink flamingos. Okay, this is it's not close. just no. It's close. See, that's not fair. It's man. closer to pink flamingos. I will pink say flamingos that pink flamingos is pure provocation. It is just yes. It, that if you no, want to right. even call it an experiment, that is just an experiment of a movie. Let's try mm-hmm. to gross the audience out at every turn. Yes. and like cinematic technique, be damned. I mm-hmm. don't think this movie is that. Like, there were a number of shots in this movie that profoundly moved me. All of the sequences on the motorcycle with like the classic rock playing in the background were just like mm. pure evocation. I really appreciated those scenes a lot. Um, and I also thought like Jack Nicholson, it's movie star magic, man. I know like he had been making movies before this. This was not his it's breakout in role. the movie. Yeah, but I think there's a reason why he got an Oscar nomination for the 10 minutes that he was in. Like that is the he best was 10 so minutes of the movie. I thought it was forgettable. You thought so? That's my problem. Yeah, no, I was like, when I saw him, I was like, oh, it's Jack Nicholson. as like a traveling salesman. Like, what are you doing? And then... I, I thought he just brought a movie star energy to it that was infectious. I really... No. I thought like th- that 10 minutes was, was pure cinema magic. No, I think most people forget that he's even in the movie. See, this is another funny thing about the film is that you don't see this movie pop up on a lot of like directors' favorites list. Yeah. It's not it's not a movie that even people today deeply appreciate or love. It's a movie that's recognized, but I, I feel like I'm not actually alone with my take here. I feel like a lot of movie understand like this movie ain't like perfect and there's not a lot of iconic things about it aside from born to be wild and driving on the road right that's well yeah dennis hopper is certainly not one of our great american directors no he is he perhaps is one of our great american actors but no uh director he is not a visionary um this is definitely a right place right time movie and that it Mm -hmm. captured a zeitgeist and uh, and broke the rules enough and shook the foundation of cinema enough for the next 10 years of movies to, you know, for the next 10 years of Hollywood to produce some of the great movies of all time. Very important. Very important. I acknowledge, yes, it is more important than it is great, and the directorial effort is more noble than it is great. Yes. Uh, So I think that's maybe why David Fincher wouldn't, you know, cite Easy Rider as one of the great cinematic achievements ever. Like, directors like great direction, and this is not necessarily a work of great direction. I don't think it's unwatchable. I, no, I, in no, fact, I, I think it's incredibly entertaining and watchable. Um, and I, I do think that there is enough there 
where I can acknowledge that it is a good movie and then there's enough historical significance to make it a great movie. Yeah, that what makes it great is the historical significance and the impact more than anything. The legacy has wavered a lot for me. Like it has a legacy, but in terms of like people's minds, it's not really there anymore. It's hard for me to make. It's not a movie that anyone holds close to their heart. Mm -hmm. I think that's very true. Um, The thing I, I do have to disagree with you about, though, is that I it's boring. Okay, oh, I don't I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I I was very very bored by this cuz it's repetitive as hell. I mean, it, it, it we say this a lot where it's like when it comes to like like what makes someone interesting is if you can't predict the next three things that happen. Mm-hmm. And every single scene here is just like, yeah, what, what what's the next hippie shit they can do? Like meet up with a couple of weirdos in a in a plethora of tents and just chill or swim in a bath together naked or get high around a campfire and then jack nicholson dies it's like okay it's i and then they die you i get what you're saying on paper i didn't feel that way i was i was watching it though the final scene is so funny because it's because of how little it it doesn't work their deaths oh you don't think so no i thought it was funny and that's a problem just because of the way it was executed i'm like (laughs) oh they're dead okay man that was that was amusing uh, yeah, you are I, coming in hot on Easy Rider. I had no idea. I, I, I don't. Again, I, I hate doing this because it's because of how important it is, and I, I don't like. I don't scorn anyone for liking the movie. Like, I get it. I get it to it. Like, if you're a film snob, okay, fine. I understand why you would like it, but it's a tough film for me to say. Like, anyone nowadays would like really appreciate. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't. I don't know what's there for people anymore, and that's part of the reason why I say it's as dated as it is. You know, and why well, like yeah. From a time capsule perspective, it's really interesting to look at. And yeah. honestly, I think I would actually enjoy the movie more if I was looking at it from more of like an ap- academic perspective than well, I'm just going to sit down and enjoy it. The editing style is incredibly noble. Um, noble? <laughs> I wouldn't call it good. You you didn't like the editing in this movie? No. <laughs> oh, wow. No. I really like the editing in this I know it's oh, showy and Nico, flashy, it is, but no, I, I liked it It is a lot. edited by a fucking monkey. Oh, come on. <laughs> by a chimpanzee throwing shit in the editing room. You didn't like the acid trip at the end? No. Oh, I love that scene. This shit is nonsense. It's bullshit. Maybe it's because I've never taken acid. <laughs> Well, if you want to take if you want to take acid, just watch the last half of uh, 2001. You're good. You're fine. Uh, maybe I need to go to a cemetery and just pop some pills. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. Oh, Henry so Fonda. I, I don't know. I, I thought a lot of those scenes were, were pretty evocative. I, I think you're right in that it's not a traditional narrative. It certainly no. doesn't. Um, it, it doesn't need to be a traditional narrative. Yeah. I don't. I absolutely 100% do not need a traditional narrative to love a movie. Uh-huh. You know, I otherwise I would be very hypocritical and loving Blade Runner. But mm-hmm. uh, like y- you need to I here's a good thing for the for 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 you to get an idea is that a movie like in a way it's like just just give me something. <laughs> just give me something. I don't know. I What this movie gave me wasn't entirely worthwhile. I don't even necessarily need a movie to like give me a message or say something. It's nice when a movie does that. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. from from the most basic raw perspective movie just needs to give me some kind of experience and uh i i just i was at a heavy heavy disconnect with this one man i just wanted to hit the open road i Mm. i kind of got it i mean i i don't know i was sort of you like to drive more than i do too that's another problem yeah maybe that's what it was (laughs) (laughs) no i i found it to be a really like transportive journey that these two guys went on and 
yeah, it was meandering. And I acknowledge that some people may find it boring, but uh, I, I really liked the characters. And although the dialogue was bullshit, I, I found it amusing. Um, and, you know, it is not to be understated that the music is awesome in this movie. Yeah, it's got a great and, soundtrack, of course. And I, you know, this was one of the uh, movies that popularized music supervision. Um, this is the story. I'm not sure if it's true, but because the budget was so low on the movie, the studio did not have enough left to pay for someone to compose a score. So mm. Dennis Hopper evidently just threw in a bunch of rock songs as scratch tracks to like stand in for the score. And the studio liked the music so much that they said, all right, just keep that music in there. Okay. So the Steppenwolf song, uh, born to be wild. The band is used in there. The birds are used in there. Hendrix is used in there. Um, all of that music was supposed to just stand in during the rough cut and ends up changing, you know, music in movies forever. Uh, yep. so like that's not to be understated. Uh, there's a Dylan song later on in the movie. This was kind of an interesting story I read. So they're doing, uh, that scene in the cemetery tripping on acid. Uh, Dennis Hopper asked Peter Fonda to talk to the statue as if he was talking to his mother who had committed suicide when Peter was 10 years old. Peter didn't want to do it as he had never confronted his feelings about his mother, but Hopper insisted, which is why you can hear Peter call the statue mother. And he states that he both loves her and hates her, which mm-hmm. expresses his conflicted emotion. This scene persuaded Bob Dylan to allow the use of his song. It's all right, ma in one of the final scenes, which contains lyrics mentioning suicide. Peter told Dylan quote, I need to hear those words. And he agreed to use it. So look, not all of that stuff is on the page. And I understand some of that meaning may be lost between the movie, between the filming of the movie and the release of the movie. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm sure you are, are, uh, are skeptical when I say this, but like all of that stuff is in there and I feel it in there. And sometimes <laughs> like it's, it's, it's an abstract feeling like you're watching a movie and you can't quite put your finger on why you're having an emotional reaction to it. Oh yeah. I know that you you know, you just sort of feel like there's a heart and soul to the movie that you can't put your finger on. Uh, And I felt all of that stuff in there. Yeah. And you know, you're right. If you remake this movie a hundred times and you know, maybe Dennis Hopper isn't directing it or maybe Peter Fonda is not in the lead or maybe it comes out in 1973 as opposed to 1969. If everything doesn't go 100% right for this movie, it's a total bomb and we're never talking about it again. But this was the amalgamation of of uh, of several circumstances, mm-hmm. and that's why we have it. It's a once in a generation thing, and maybe you call it a time capsule piece, but I consider it to be pretty special. And I watched it for the first time the other night, and I really enjoyed it a lot. All right, nothing wrong with liking it. I don't get mad at anybody for liking this movie. You know, okay. It's cool. I it's one that I was disappointed that I didn't like more, you know, because it's like I should like this movie, but I I do not, and I, I I actually unfortunately yeah I come down on it a little bit, but you know, okay, it's it's a conversation, yeah, <laughs> definitely. We just yeah. had it. Yeah, I we thought did. it was a pretty good one. Yes, it was. <laughs> okay, uh, Midnight Cowboys next, mm-hmm. the winner of Best Picture that year, directed by John Schlesinger, starring Dennis, sorry, Dustin Hoffman, John Voight. And Sylvia Miles, winner of Best Picture, Director, and Adapted Screenplay, nominated for Best Actor twice over. Both John Voight and Dustin Hoffman were nominated there. Also nominated for Best Actress and Best Editing. 
AFI puts it where, Adam Hall? Uh, best of all time, you mean? Um, I don't know, 12. 43. Okay. <laughs> a naive hustler travels from Texas to New York City to seek personal fortune, finding a new friend in the process. Mm. Uh, I will just cover the broad strokes here. This is the only movie to be rated X and to win Best Picture. At the time, the X rating was not necessarily associated with pornography. Um, It was the rating given to pornography, but back then the line between porn and film was a lot more blurry than it is now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, the X rating was sort of reserved for pornographic films. Theaters did not show X rated movies. So Midnight Cowboy did not screen in a lot of movie theaters because of that. Regardless, still became a cultural phenomenon. As I said, it was the third highest grossing movie of that year and made Oscar history for portraying explicit homosexuality and prostitution uh, in ways that you wouldn't think Academy voters would be comfortable with. Nonetheless, wins Best Picture. Very important for that reason. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. (laughs) Also a line in the movie. uh, One of the most quotable movie lines of all time. Improvised by Dustin Hoffman because they were shooting that shit without a permit. Of course they were. Uh, very important movie for all of the reasons I just described. What is your relationship to it? Uh, I, I don't know when I saw this movie, but at a certain point, yeah, no, I, I saw this movie and I loved it and I still love it because this movie's pretty much a masterpiece. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, about as close as you can get. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not at all what I expected. I didn't know anything about the movie when I first went into it. I was just, I just thought it was going to be like a grungy New York film. And I mean, it is, I didn't expect it to go into the level of, uh, I didn't expect it to get that personal. (laughs) (laughs) This is like, it's, and it's not a pleasant experience at all. It's very sad and it's also incredibly bleak and it's, it's Jesus. And in an era where people are struggling to, to work or find themselves, you know, this movie would just, you know, it's, it's, it's gonna, uh, let's just say I don't feel like watching this movie right now. Yeah. Well, if you're a germaphobe this time of year, also yeah. not the best movie for you because this movie is filthy. Yeah, it is. You just oh feel God. the dirt on your arms as you're watching this movie. You just need a bath. It's here's the thing, though. One of the reasons is because it is a great like little cinematic technique. But when uh, John Voight first comes into like his living quarters, we will say it makes more sense to have him look pristine to contrast it with the shittiest apartment in uh, cinema history, because then you right. get a much clearer sense of just how dirty that thing is and how horrendous Dustin Hoffman is in the movie. He, he's great in the movie, yeah. but like he is the filthiest human being I think I've ever seen in my life. And again, you just feel so sorry for him because you know that there was a point where he had like greater ambitions that could take him somewhere in the scenes where he's fantasizing about what could be. I just feel like everyone relates to that in a way. Well, I mean, in his case, though, the greater ambition is that he's going to be a high end prostitute. So I'm not sure. Like when we say greater ambition, I'm not sure. Like he's going to see his name in lights, you know, but it's the concept is what I'm saying. Yeah, He he wants to be a prostitute to beautiful women. Turns out he's a prostitute to like horny guys in their 20s in movie theaters. Yes. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, I guess it's all uh, perspective, isn't it? <laughs> sure. All- I'm just, I'm just saying the notion about like, 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 for example, like when he's uh, like fantasizing about like being down in Miami and making drinks and stuff like that, like yeah, just being sure. in a better place. But like, I feel like that's something that every single person on Earth has sort of related to. 
and to see him come like not even come short, just like completely miss it and having no way of getting there is just the saddest thing for him to for us to witness and the level of denial in these characters and for John Voight's character to essentially end up in the same place. Yeah, you know, with, 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 for things that are completely out of his con- control in a lot of ways. Well. <sighs> Kind of, yeah. Ends up in the same place, but I think has uh, learned a valuable lesson about making it in the world and what it means to make it in the world. Well, you hope. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think yeah, so. I don't know. I mean, I hope he did, but it's hard to say. Well, I, I think, like, look, this movie is uh, kind of a, a romance of sorts. I mean, it's a buddy yeah. comedy. It's a or not comedy. It's a buddy movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these two are sort of kindred spirits and they learn to love each other. They are each other's love interest, yeah. even though it's a platonic love. Um, but I think that, you know, in this pursuit of, of riches and success, quote unquote, in New York city, he finds out that it is the human relationships that matter. Yep. And although it is again, the grimiest version of that story, it's, I think a pretty generic story about, uh, you know, love meaning more than money. Oh Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. you know, and it's also like a cautionary tale about making it in the big city. Again, it is the grimiest version of that story. But, uh, you know, it's it's pretty when you take away all of like the homosexual undertones and you take away mm. all of the violence and, and prostitution, mm. like I think it's a pretty accessible story, wouldn't you say? It's not like I, I mean, when I think when I went into it and I saw that it was I think now it, you'd call it NC-17. Yeah. And well, it, it was since switched to R. It's no longer yeah. an X-rated movie. It's R-rated now. Because you look at it and like, how is this even close to that? Yeah. I've seen an NC-17 movie and <laughs> yeah, sure. no. Uh-uh. Um, <laughs> the, this is, yeah, I think it is pretty accessible now. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it, it it earns like the notoriety it may have gotten. I mean, I, I understand why, but like looking at it now, it's like, yeah, that's it's aged better in that sense. You know, mm-hmm. there's no way like you would look at it and say like, yeah, no, this is this is just a gross, disgusting thing. That's still very good. It's not. It's just a very, very good movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a New York movie, though, like what was it with like 60s and 70s movies that just make New York out to be the worst place on Earth? I guess <laughs> well, maybe I it is if- the worst place. Yeah, I think in the 60s and 70s, it was the worst place maybe, on earth. Maybe it was. <laughs> I mean, since then, it's become like a place for gift shops in Times Square. But back then, yeah, I don't think so. It's a little nasty, you know. Yeah. In a world where Dustin Hoffman is walking around with John Voight and they might pass Travis Bickle. You never know. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's a shitty place to live. <laughs> I think the point is of 60s and 70s New York cinema is that Rudy Giuliani is really the greatest politician that's ever been. <laughs> I think thank God for Rudy Giuliani is really the lesson of taxi driver midnight cowboy. All right. All right. Uh yeah, I mean, sure, I you you know how much I love old New York movies. It is oh, yeah. perhaps my favorite setting, and I just mm-hmm. can't get enough of it. Um you know, I did think Roger Ebert wrote about this in his review. He he sort of nitpicks the movie a little bit. The Andy Warhol party that they go to, mm. that doesn't really feel real. Um, just be not necessarily that that party wouldn't happen in Manhattan in the sixties, but that Dustin Hoffman and John Voight would not be invited to that party. No. And I know like the scene is played that way. Like there's supposed to be fishes out of water, but like, there's no way they would even score an invite to begin with. Uh, you know, Ratso Rizzo, a fucking anybody <laughs> named Ratso Rizzo. Addict. Yeah. Like, like, no, I feel like we buried the lead here. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is like iconic in this movie. 
insane. Well, here's the funny thing. Like, insanely good. I don't know if he's iconic, though. You don't think so? No, because here's, here, here's the big indicator is that when people say I'm walking here all the time, yeah. I can't tell you how many instances when, I, when I've heard someone say that and I've, I've had to be the movie nerd and been like, oh, you know what that's from? They've been like, no, what's that from? I'm like, oh, Midnight Cowboy. Oh, what's Midnight Cowboy? Who says it? Dustin right. Hoffman. What? Yeah, sure. Dustin Hoffman says it. <laughs> yeah, it's and it, it's it's always like this wonderful surprising moment for them to 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 realize that little bit of movie trivia. But it's not identifiable the way that like even you talking to me is. You know. Okay. Fair. That's fine. Um, I I just think in our little bubble of movie nerds, uh, yeah, that character is one of the all time great movie characters, and I, I don't think i can understate this um do you understand coming off of the graduate the type mm. of offers that dustin hoffman was getting yeah like, like he becomes in the graduate the sought after romantic lead he can do anything he wants he's attractive he's not like the best looking guy in the world he's you know uh he's not paul newman but he's attractive enough and he is a viable commercial success mm-hmm. after the graduate the amount of balls it takes to play a homeless drug dealer with a limp and <laughs> slurred speech yep. in a movie about a male prostitute in 1969. Like this movie is the most important uh, movie in Dustin Hoffman's career and really set the tone. If he doesn't do this movie and uh, instead, you know, does like romantic comedies in the early 70s. Um, we don't think of him as one of the great American actors, but it took such balls. And for him to go for it, you, you got to respect the hell out of Dustin Hoffman for taking this role. I mean, it speaks to his method acting. Just it, it makes sense. Like when you know who he is, it's like, oh, of course he would take a role like this, you know? Yeah. But I think back then, again, this speaks to just the the era of actors that we were getting, you know, mm-hmm. to, to see an actor be like, oh, they're going to keep going in a, a weirder, more transgressive direction right. and like, you know, use their craft in more artful ways than I think any Hollywood star would have done before. And again, sets a great bar for actors to come. You know, you get a lot of uh, uh, wonderful actors because of that who sort of abide by a similar template, mm-hmm. you know. So. But you know what though man today we don't have that i mean we just talked about tom hardy tom hardy's in fucking venom dude you know what i mean th- um who's that guy like even Pitt and leo who are two excellent actors never really strayed that far away from the brand brad pitt has never been ugly in a movie name one movie where it's like ugh, brad pitt looks gross um 12 monkeys okay all right yeah all right early on fair enough okay he tried it a little bit i guess he got an Oscar nomination for that. Yeah, he did. Uh, but <laughs> it, not like Razzo Rizzo. No, no. There's no, 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 no character no. like Razzo Rizzo in Brad Pitt's IMDb page. Not even close. Or in Leo's IMDb page. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it really is a ballsy performance. And also, he's not the lead in the movie. No, uh, strangely. I, I, I was actually surprised learning that he was in the movie when I had first saw it. Because I knew it was like a John Voight film, first mm-hmm. and foremost. But I was like, oh, he plays opposite Dustin Hoffman who is Dustin Hoffman's character. And to see him, here's the thing, like I had seen many a Dustin Hoffman films, but I had never seen him get this grungy and just disgusting and deplorable before. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's terrible. Yeah, but but also incredibly lovable. And that's the miracle yeah. of this movie um, yeah. in many ways. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, I, 
Ebert did write in his review that the some of the the parts or the the whole is not equal to the sum of the parts. Um, just that the performances are a little better than the movie. And I guess I don't disagree with him on that. The performances are incredible and the characters are incredible. But as I always say, that's a part of the movie. The performances are part of the movie. And uh, I like Roger Ebert because you and I, I butt heads a lot where I'm, where I'm like, there's a lot more to the movie than just performances. Yeah. For- and look, I, I agree with him. The performances are definitely the strongest part of this movie. And yes, if yes, anybody yes. but Dustin Hoffman and John Voight are in this, it doesn't work as well. No. Um, but yeah, just right place, right time, right era and an iconic movie. And by the way, we're about to talk about another iconic movie. I think this year, two of the greatest endings in the history of cinema. This ending mm. is so moving and powerful, but also so quiet. And it just hits you like a wrecking ball. You have no idea it's coming. Um, very rarely do you see an ending that is that shocking, but also that quiet. Yeah, I know. It should be much more... It should be like super loud when you think about it, honestly, because of how... Because of what... I mean, I'm not going to spoil it, but Mm -hmm. because of just the nature of what ends up happening, it should have been a much more outrageous scene in a lot of ways. It it takes a tremendous amount of, uh, I guess, maturity and, and... and a sort of a mannered quality of filmmaking to go in that direction. You, and you have to be so confident in it. Yeah. You can't just, you can't just do it. Mm-hmm. And for the movie to say, nope, let's just stop for a second and really appreciate this and land on that note of something you know, a little more, you know, rich and deep in affection. And it is, again, like when I was talking about the movie being sad, like so just, ugh. oh, it's a heartbreaking, heartbreaking, ending. heartbreaking. But the fact that it ends on a quiet note is like one of the most uh, like profound and respectable decisions for an ending that I've seen. I love that ending so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I- ironically, uh, the only other movie, I think my favorite ending is in a movie is The Graduate. And, and in a lot of ways, it's kind of similar. It's the same actor, both on a bus. <laughs> same actor on a bus. Great Dustin ending. Hoffman on a bus. If you end your movie with Dustin Hoffman on a bus... You have made a Hollywood classic. I was like, that's a Tommy Wiseau logic. I just saw these movies and it was a great ending on bus. Good ending. (laughs) (laughs) So I put my character on bus. (laughs) All right. That's Midnight Cowboy. Finally, (laughs) Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, baby. Mm, Directed by George Roy Hill, written by William Goldman, who we talk about quite a bit on this podcast for good reason. Starring Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Catherine Ross. Winner of Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Original Song, and Best Original Score. Was also nominated for Best Picture, Director, and Sound. AFI has it number 77 all time. Wyoming, early 1900s. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid are the leaders of a band of outlaws. After a train robbery goes wrong, they find themselves on the run with a posse hard on their heels. Their solution, escape to Bolivia. When I say let's go somewhere like Bolivia, let's go somewhere like Bolivia. (laughs) (laughs) This fucking movie. Uh, Uh, My favorite Western of all time, and it's not close. (laughs) Could be my favorite Western, too. I go back and forth with a lot of them. It's like this, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and maybe Unforgiven are my top three. Mm-hmm. And holy shit, this movie's so good. 
movie's so good. This and movie it's, fucking rules, dude. It rocks. Doesn't just really fucking rocks, man. I love this fucking movie so much. Anyone who talks shit about this movie can go to hell. It is who perfect. Who's talking shit about this movie? I don't know. You know there's people around who are going to talk shit about any well, movie. Well, actually, I have one for you. What? Roger Ebert. What? Siskel and Ebert did not like this movie. Why? Yeah. They both didn't like it. Do they... In fact, he wrote a retrospective about it. Like, oh, was I wrong about Butch Cassidy? And he's like, nah, I wasn't. Wow. Yeah. Yeesh. His point in the review, just to play devil's advocate, was that the movie never owns the fact that it's a Western. And the movie almost spits in the face of Westerns by being so actively not a Western. What's wrong with that? (laughs) My point exactly. (laughs) What is wrong? Did they praise the wild bunch? (laughs) Well, I I don't. I yes, he did praise the wild bunch. What? (laughs) Well, I think really. So let me try to speak for him, even though I disagree with him. Mm -hmm. The wild bunch is a Western that uh, breaks the rules of the genre Mm -hmm. where Butch Cassidy is just a buddy cop movie set in the West. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So like one plays around with the conventions of the genre where the other just doesn't even attempt the conventions of the genre. But I mean, the fact that he said like spit in the face, if if that's around, that wasn't the, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, but in a way, like if he's, if he's talking about it in that manner, I mean, wild bunch spits in the face of Westerns and very aggressively. So right. This movie is, doesn't have anything against Westerns. It just so happens to be set in the West. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I agree with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I look, I also acknowledge that the reason why I love it so much is because it's so damn entertaining. Mm-hmm. It is. Inc- it, it, you know, has not aged a day. If you show this to a 10 year old in 2020, they'll still love it. Um, mm-hmm. And like, that is a testament to William Goldman, who is one of the great screenwriters ever and just I- never fails to write an entertaining script. His movies are never boring. Well, that's the thing is that like, I actually think this is like, like a similarly similarly like great pairing not to say that like george roy hill is like the greatest visual filmmaker ever but Mm -hmm. like there's something about the pairing with him and william goldman here that is like quite perfect and for william goldman to write a script like this set in this setting to to, to, which i found very surprising actually but it's just he just knows how to write characters with like these this dripping chemistry and George Roy Hill knows how to direct Robert Redford and Paul Newman. So (laughs) you know it, he did it many times Uh, and like, but even to a greater, like this movie is just, just, just jumps around. And I, I don't don't even want to say it jumps around. It just moves and moves and moves. And it is just this explosive, awesome piece of character, not just with the, the performances and the writing, but the filmmaking itself and the set pieces that, that, robbery scene on the train is both awesome and funny as hell i i love how it fucks up i love the tension in that scene when it doesn't go quite quite right mm-hmm. just like there's not a single like missed opportunity with the beats it's mm-hmm. just like it's man this is like a fury road level of just awesomeness from scene to scene i love well it. there is not the fury road level proficiency though to the action and no, to the no. characters which well, is it's not an I action movie more. really it's yeah. different yeah i mean these characters are severely flawed and that's what i love about them so much this is oh, yeah. a pure character study this is a bromance movie yes. mm-hmm. uh this is the lethal weapon of its time this is not a oh, western yeah. this is not black cats versus white hats um no. These guys uh, love each other and uh, they make a lot of mistakes and they're often bickering. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, they're on the top of a cliff. 
Sundance Kid is like, I can't swim. And Butch Cassidy is like, well, the, the fall will kill you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Oh boy! Nothing, uh, I've never nothing. shot anyone before. Well, you picked the wrong moment to tell me that. The perfect moment to hell, tell me that. Hell of a time to tell me. <laughs> one of my favorite moments of the entire film. Like that's one of those moments where it's like I <laughs> just sticks with me forever. Like it's one of my favorite film like 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 mutual understanding character moments, and it's just so funny. And the entire movie is comprised of like little character moments like that, even down to the final scene. Mm-hmm. You know, just to see these guys never lose their spirit, even yeah. to their dying breath. Yeah. It's just fantastic. This movie just cheers me up. You right. know, it, it's uh, the movie that gave us David Fincher. Fun fact. I have that written down in my research. Uh, David Fincher started making movies because of this. And I'll give you another tidbit for you. Uh, Aaron Sorkin started writing movies because of this. It's a match made in heaven. Look yeah. at that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's destiny right there. Aaron Sorkin uh, did a podcast about this movie uh, about a year ago, and I listened to it. Uh, William Goldman was not only a huge inspiration, but also a mentor to Aaron Sorkin. He sort of took Mm. him under his wing and taught him everything he knew. Uh, And he's like, yeah, if Butch Cassidy does not exist, you do not have the social network. David Fincher is not making movies, and Aaron Sorkin is not writing scripts. Uh, So very notable. Um, Yeah, and look, this is a movie that is beloved by people that make really awesome popcorn movies. Um, you know, not to call like David Fincher movies, popcorn movies, but like the dude just has a a real eye for making entertainment, like populist entertainment with like a Mm -hmm. dark flair. And Aaron Sorkin is the best screenwriter at this currently alive. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, this movie is just like an awesome Hollywood caper. It's just really fucking fun. It's the best of like like of all of both worlds in terms of like making a piece that feels very very distinct but not tainted by the Hollywood system at all. Mm-hmm. But also again, be a popcorn film in the purest sense because it is. It's it is populist entertainment. It's starring like like movie stars and in, in, in all their glory. Uh, but like Jesus, this movie just just sings, doesn't it? Oh man, it does. The script. I mean, we we can quote this movie till the cows come home, but. Mm-hmm. Boy, I got vision, and the rest of the world wears bifocals. <laughs> so good! <laughs> the screenplay is so fucking perfect. It's so popping, dude. I know, I know. It's so popping. One of the things also I read in my research, Goldman took him eight years to write this script, was fascinated by the story of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. And the story that actually inspired him did not make the final script, was that Butch Cassidy was uh, put on trial, for Robin Banks, he was notorious for Robin Banks, but the judge really liked him. So Butch <laughs> Cassidy, so the judge goes, all right, Butch, I'll let you go, but you got to stop Robin Banks. And Butch <laughs> goes, judge, I got to be honest, I can't promise you that. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, let me go and I won't rob any banks in Wyoming. And the judge <laughs> lets him go. <laughs> So it's like you hear that story and you're like, that's a screenplay. I got to write this. That story did not make the final cut, even though he wanted so desperately to squeeze it in there. He couldn't find a way to make that scene work. Really? Oh, that sucks. Um, That's that's just so clearly. Right. No, it's so clearly that character. It's like the seed that everything grew out of. Right. That's a great Uh, little story. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so good. Um, Yeah. He was. But anyway, so he takes eight years to write the script. Um, was inspired by the idea that these were Western heroes that had a second act. 
there's this story um uh the the author of the great gatsby his name is what f scott fitzgerald f scott fitzgerald once said that american sorry uh <laughs> i like to pretend i'm smarter than i am and that i read books uh mm. <laughs> americans don't often have second acts it's like you have one story and that story happens and then it's done um but butch cassidy ended up making it to bolivia and like yeah. living a second life in bolivia and trying to seek redemption there he was fascinated oh these are western heroes that actually get that second act and yeah. they're western heroes that rather than confronting the problem like in the wild bunch they run away you mm-hmm. never see a, a hero in a western run away so it's all these awesome subversions of the genre again it is like the postmodern western it is yeah. the western that uh was born after the genre completely died um mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, you know, not a traditional Western, but that is one of the reasons why I love it so much. I don't think there's anything else like it, though. Yeah, I agree. It's a postmodern Western, but I didn't see a lot of movies get made, like a lot of Westerns rather get made with this vein. But you definitely get like the attitude of this movie that carries over through, I mean, many films and, and, and scripts, honestly, with that sort of like charismatic buddy relationship. I mean, it extends even to the sting, honestly. Oh, yeah, absolutely came to define yeah their career together Newman and Redford yeah but I I like yeah it's not a movie that I in terms of like the the genre of westerns it's if you want to call I mean it is a western but very subversive mm-hmm. if you want I mean there's not many other westerns that are like this in my opinion like I, I'm trying to think of a like there's something I wish I could point to a modern example of like because there are no westerns it's it's Shane black <sighs> movies well that's the thing like I'm trying to because I, I Shane Black as well. I mean, I do see a lot of like where Shane Black probably got a lot of his inspiration. I guess like maybe yeah, Lethal Weapon is probably the closest thing you get. You got the Twenty One like Jump Street movies. I mean, you don't see it in that genre. Uh, no, like the whole buddy. Com- this is essentially a buddy comedy. Yeah, you know, even it's, though it's it's considered a, a drama, like there are laughs in this movie, and it has the rhythms of a of just like a you know, actually, what it is, it's it's a lovers on a run story. In a lot but of the ways, lovers yeah. here are just two straight dudes. <laughs> yep. You know, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's so entertaining and so rewatchable. And <laughs> you hear the name Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid and you think like, ugh, a movie that my grandfather would like, but no. it has none of that at all. It's so popping. And it is, no. yes, as you said, the platonic ideal of a Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Just this, this movie is so good. I fucking like, and again, the best of both worlds in terms of like filmmaking and screenplay where it's like the filmmaking's dope. The craft is incredible. And that script is just like, like, oh boy. Like I said, I'm, I already said it, but I'm saying it again. It sings baby. All time. Great. All time. Yeah. Great script. It is. Yeah. And ending, as I said, yeah, oh, great. ending, immaculate, mm-hmm. immaculate, ending. nuts, but like dripping with character and it's funny and it's satisfying as all hell. And oh, it's perfect. It's oh, one by of those, the way, like, Newman yes. and Redford. What about them? Pretty damn good. Now nah, they suck. Let's move okay. on. <laughs> <laughs> we should mention that. <laughs> Newman and Redford. I can't swim! <laughs> that line about the fall killing is just the shit. <laughs> the whole script is that, though. It's awesome. I need to watch this movie tonight. I didn't rewatch it for the podcast. I'm watching I it tonight. Watch it. I've seen it a couple times. Actually. Oh, I need I need just a warm blanket tonight. I'm popping this one in. <laughs> I got so, like a, we're quoting the same quotes, but I don't care. It's like I got something to tell you. 
I never killed anyone. <laughs> Hell of a time to tell me. <laughs> Think about that. Your your hero in a western has never shot anyone before. <laughs> Contrast that with the Wild Bunch, man. It's like these movies are. It's like they're they're made on the same planet. It's surprising. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Ah, oh, great movie, man! I love. It. Next time we you we say we're gonna go to Bolivia, let's go to Bolivia. Mm. That's a line that you could use, like, <laughs> like an everyday use. Though. I'm surprised I don't use that one more. I'll tell yeah. you what, though, you hear that line and you you think like, oh yeah, that's where Aaron Sorkin got his style from. Yeah, like that you line see- is so Sorkin, like repeating the same words over, like the punchline being included in the setup. Yeah. Like that's so Sorkin, you know, it's very, but it's so clever though. It still works, you know? Oh, of course. No, my only point is that Aaron Sorkin is just riding on the coattails of William Goldman. That's all I'm saying. Him and shade black essentially. So yeah. Awesome movie. Okay. Uh, let's get to a decision here. Shall we? I mean, I have a clear answer. Honestly, talk to me. Talk to me. I mean, it's not even close for me. It is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. I think it, it honestly, I think it wins out on all of our categories. Um, okay, here, here would be my only argument. Although Butch Cassidy is my favorite movie on the list. I think Midnight Cowboy and Butch Cassidy are the clear two front runners. Mm -hmm. Those are the two best movies. Um, we're talking about 1969. We're talking about an era. Butch Cassidy, as I said, does not represent this era. It could have come out any year and it holds up. That is both an asset, but also when we're talking about like impact, and cultural legacy doesn't really have that. Like this is, as we said in the beginning of the well, program, a transgressive year. And Butch Cassidy is not a particularly transgressive movie. No, no. The the, the argument you got to this is where you got to like separate like what what we're talking about. Like we have to really redefine like the way we look at legacy. By the way, because it okay. can't just it can't just be like what was popular at the time necessarily and then had no legacy after the fact because that's weak. Yeah, like like I look at movies like that grew like to me, like the big Lebowski has a greater legacy than many films that came out in uh, uh, 1998 because of how it grew. I think that's a more admirable legacy, for example. Yeah, than something I, that I would, agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Than something that was just popular right out of the gate. So yeah, but I, um, all of these movies, I guess, with the exception of maybe Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, have that, though. They've all grown in estimation over the years. They're, none of these movies were like flash in a pan, and now we've forgotten about them. I wouldn't... I, I uh, Bob and Carol, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, in different ways, though. Like, again, the legacy of like Easy Rider is that it is not really watched by many people, but it's taught in class. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, the Wild Bunch... Yeah, it's continued to to watch to be watched. I don't think up to the same extent of like um, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And I have to be as much as I love Midnight Cowboy, I'm not entirely sure it it, it holds a candle to uh, Butch Cassidy okay, in the is, same this way. Is a, this is the other thing that we often this, get yeah. hung up on. Yeah, is that we talk about like this is what the <coughs> average moviegoer watches. Yeah, and I am less concerned about what the average moviegoer watches. Ooh. And what the average movie fan watches. Oh, this does not sound like you. <laughs> well, the, I, well, it, it certain. No, I see. No, I don't. I don't think that's right. Because I think in the past, like I've argued for movies that are beloved amongst movie fans. But like, you know, broadcast news is the one that I keep going back to. Like that is a movie that is beloved by bro- by 
like movie fans, but like the average moviegoer Stop maybe it. has not seen. But I don't think the fact that the average moviegoer hasn't seen it, we should hold that against it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. So all I'm and not to again sound like a snob here, and I'm not accusing anyone of being a philistine, but <laughs> shut up. Like Midnight Cowboy is still renowned as one of the great movies ever made. So like to say that that movie doesn't have a legacy is come on that's silly i didn't say it didn't have a legacy that's not true um it it, it, it has a legacy um i don't know if it's and i i don't know if it's held up as strongly i mean you could maybe make an argument that it has the best legacy if we're taking into account the time in terms of like representing an era while yes. still carrying over so in that sense i could give it give it to midnight cowboy that being said impact it's my only not point. even close is that we? I don't just want to give credit to the most popular movie, and we've said that in the past. Like just the movie that the most I, people have seen. That's not how I want to do this, and I don't think that's how we have done it in the past. And I think we should continue no, not doing that. No, but in my opinion, impact and quality are the two most important things. Legacy is a I agree. little. It's secondary, and I think Butch Cassidy kind of wins out outright. Butch Cassidy is my favorite movie. I think it's the best movie. Yes. Um. Again, my pushback here is that we picked 1969, which as we established is a pivotal year, we nominated five movies. Four of them are incredibly transgressive and on the edge and push the boundaries of cinema. And one is incredibly entertaining. And to pick the one that is incredibly entertaining over the four that really went for it and changed the direction of film history seems cheap. I'm not saying I don't want to do it. I'm just saying it feels cheap. Oh, we need to go back to that E.T. pod and see how see how you feel now. <laughs> if you're uh, implying that I fit my argument to whatever opinion I have. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> Just admit it. I'm not arguing with you. <laughs> I'm going with Butch Cassidy if you are. Yeah, it's it's got it's has, has to be Butch Cassidy. Okay, congratulations then. <laughs> you motherfucker. William Goldman, George Roy Hill, Newman and Redford in the movie Hall of Fame. I believe our first Western. Is it our first Hall Western? I think so. We've never done a Western pod. Uh that's really broad. I know. It's really that's, broad. That, I know. You know? It's worth it, though. I mean, maybe we do like a Leone pod or a John Ford pod. I think like if we did all. Yeah, I think that's a little broad. It is broad. But hey, you know, there's a lot of Godzilla films. That's pretty broad. (laughs) That's pretty broad. (laughs) You know, Westerns and Godzilla. It's the same thing. Okay. Uh, This was really fun for me. I enjoyed this year quite a bit. This is a good year. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I enjoyed watching all these movies. Oh, yeah. You had to watch like three of them. That's right. Yeah. 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 I've been petitioning for this year for a while. It's been forever. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is one of those pitiful years and I'm glad we finally did it. Um, all right. So next week we're doing Capone. <laughs> we're doing Capone. Let's do it. Uh, I'm going to hate it. I'm going to hate it. Rent Capone for $20 on the video on demand service of your choice. Fuck. See, I don't I don't even like love Chronicle. I like it, but like I'm not like head over heels for the thing. Oh, I do not understand the Josh Trank thing at all. Okay, like thank you. I'm, I'm just, I don't get it. <laughs> like what was so special about that? It is the emperor's new clothes to me. The fact that this man 
was given two major. Well, okay, we'll talk next week. Okay, it's just we'll like, talk it's all conf- about the Josh Trank phenomenon. It's so confusing to me. And Max <laughs> Landis can go fuck himself. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, we'll talk about it. All right. Okay. So next week, watch it. Thanks, Jabril. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Jabril. <laughs> and uh, that's it. Uh, I love you very, very much. And until next time, Adam. Nico, this podcast, we blew it. We blew it.